Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Batman Nightcast, a proud part of the Fire and Water podcast network that chronicles the legendary comic book adventures of the Dark Knight Detective. I'm Ryan Daly. And I'm Chris Franklin. And we're back, picking up where we left off last episode to discuss the second chapter of the Man Bat's origin arc and the second part of Dark Knight Dark City. Uh, is there any Batman-related banter that we can do before we jump into these? Uh, I don't know. Was there something... I think Andrew was telling me that some uh, a guy uh, that's in the Batman as one of the the gang that Batman's fighting is has been cast as Tim Drake. I think that I, I didn't look into it, but that's what in Titans, Tim Drake in Titans. Sorry. Oh, okay, right. in the Titans. Sorry. Yeah. So yeah, so now they've got they've had Dick, Jason, and now apparently they're going to have Tim. So yeah. so that's all that's all really I've heard, other than more Michael Keaton and when the Snyder cuts coming out of of Justice yeah. League. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't heard of any like any new movies or trailers or anything that pissed me off. So, oh, I did hear one thing. I heard that okay. um, that Leica, that you know, the stop motion mm-hmm. studio, mm-hmm. Warner Brothers has hired them to do a stop motion Batman movie. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I know. I heard that on one of the Jim Hill uh, media podcasts. Jim Hill's a big animation and Disney insider, uh, and uh, fine tuning is the the animation when he does. And uh, they were talking about their big fans of Leica. They did Coraline and right. Paranorman and all those films. And uh, uh, and yeah, so apparently they're working on a stop motion Batman film, which I don't know what that will look like or or what. And yeah, okay. I mean, I'm trying to think like would that appeal to a different audience than a Lego Batman sequel or something like that? Like, okay, I mean, it's a different look, it's a different style, but I, yeah, all right. Well, the only thing I can think of is there was that really cool Batman dance party video that came out and went viral a few years ago hmm. where the characters are all stop motion and they're dancing to the Batman theme. And and it's really shocking because at the end it shows the young Bruce and the Waynes and they both the Waynes get shot and, and, and it closes in on Bruce and he like clenches his fist and it goes, Batman! <laughs> at the end, that's just... <laughs> <laughs> which is it's a really strange but fun look that up on youtube guys. I, will, I, I don't remember yeah yeah it's it's fun as hell and there's like the the classic versions of characters and then like modern versions and it's it's a whole lot of fun yeah oh and there's a there's rumors going around uh apparently kevin smith on his i think his show's called fat man beyond now said that he knew that warners was working on reviving batman the animated series for hbo max Mm, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so now I don't know. I, that's all I know. You know, I don't know if that means is it going to be pick right up from the new Batman Adventures? Is it going to pick up after Justice League? I who knows? But mm. apparently, there's rumblings that they're going to bring back BTAS on HBO Max. So mm, yeah. yeah, so I guess there is quite a few, quite a bit of Batman news. <laughs> yeah, I guess it just goes in one ear and out the other, or. One eye right. and out the other, I guess. I guess it's like there's so, and I guess it's part of our pandemic culture. There's so much talk right. and so little coming out. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That that it's just it's at this point it's all talk. Like if if this Flashpoint movie with Michael Keaton ever happens, I'll be really surprised. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, and it might, and if it does, great. But at this point, I you know, Spider Man three's filming right now, so they're gonna beat them to it. Uh, <laughs> and if Toby Maguire and Andrew Garfield are actually in this thing, then yeah, they're, they've kind of stolen their thunder of multiple 
you know, Batman actors returning. They've they've already done it with Spider Man, so right. you know. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's get on to some comics. Yeah, let's get on to some stuff we know existed and is actually good. So. <laughs> <laughs> we have evidence. Yep. Okay, Detective Comics number 402 was covered dated August 1970, on sale June 30th, 1970. On another classic cover by Neil Adams, Batman's lantern-lit search through a marshy swamp is suddenly interrupted by his apparent quarry, the fearsome flying figure of the Man-Bat. What do you think of this one, Ryan? I, okay, I love the cover, but where is this supposed to be in relation to Gotham? Like... Where where is he looking? Why does he have a lantern like that? Like, but uh, this is I mean again Neil Adams bringing back those kind of like spooky, mysterioso, gothic type of like covers and atmospheres. Like again, if you change Batman for just some other guy in a suit, this could be a Tales of the Unexpected or a, a House of Mystery cover or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the man bat. I mean, he he looks skinny. His face I think looks a little bit less bat like on this cover. Um, I wonder, like, when this cover was drawn in relation to, like, the interiors of the last couple episodes, like, you know, from from how we see Langstrom and the Man Bat looking in those. My um, uh, the reprint book that I have, which is the the Man Bat versus Batman uh, number one, which collects all three of these trilogy. This is the cover that is used on the front. Um, it's the same image, except I think the colors are a little bit enhanced for this one. Uh, like the, the background is a lot more brighter green and it, it, the shading isn't so dark. Yeah. This is the very, it's a very dark, I've got the original. It's, it's very dark and, and, uh, very, it's got a, it's a, it's a very deep, deep green, almost black. And there's, yeah. this is probably Neil Adams pushing the, pushing the uh, pr- production department yet again. I know we bring that up every time, but, and yeah, I had that in my notes too. This could definitely be a house of mystery cover. Um, and, and uh, oddly enough, uh, one man bat appears to be naked. Uh, you don't <laughs> see his pants. Uh, and, and two, this, the head of man bat, even though you're right, it looks a little, he looks a little less hairy and less baddish through the face. That head's reused on covers throughout the seventies when man bats a featured character inside. So you're, yeah, yeah, you're... yeah. So it gets, it gets, a. Uh, it gets a workout. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, jumping inside, the story is Man or Bat. Stories by Frank Robbins. Art by Neil Adams and Dick Giordano. Letters by John Costanza. And the editor was Julius Schwartz. Nighttime in the offices of Gotham's Biochem Limited, where a group of thieves attempt to crack the office safe. But unbeknownst to the safe crackers, they are being watched from above by the mutated form of Kirk Langstrom. Langstrom is pleased to see the thieves succeed in opening the safe, for he needs a rare chemical stored inside. He thinks of how he will soon pounce upon them, just as his idol Batman would. As if in answer, the real Cape Crusader crashes through a window and engages the gang. Langstrom desperately wants to grab the chemical while everyone else is distracted, but instead comes to Batman's aid. The two quickly turn the tables, but an appreciative Batman is caught off guard when he learns his two-time ally also wants something from the safe. Langstrom tosses him aside and tells his hero he has every intention to pay for the item, but the law-abiding Batman will hear none of it. After Langstrom slams him with the safe door, Batman attempts to pull off his former friend's disguise, only to find his monstrous face is real, just as he told him in their last meeting. Langstrom strikes Batman, and when the masked manhunter comes back for more, he accidentally hits him again with the safe door, knocking him out cold. Making sure he's still breathing, Langstrom runs off with his precious chemical back to the Museum of Natural History, where he hopes he can still restore himself to normal. 
Batman awakens and pondering the plight of the monstrous man-beast follows his one lead back to where they first met, the museum. There he finds a frantic Francine Lee begging a security guard to let her in to see her fiancé, Kirk Langstrom. The guard explains that Langstrom is the museum's bat expert and is out of town. But Francine knows that Kirk's story about his ill mother is a lie. He never made it to Chicago and he hasn't been home for days. It doesn't take the world's greatest detective to figure out Kirk is our mysterious man bat. And he and Francine find Langstrom in his lab about to ingest his chemical cocktail. The sight of Francine startles Langstrom and he drops the vial. Distraught at his dashed cure, he crashes through the window and jumps three stories down to the ground below, unharmed. Batman confirms Francine's fiancé is indeed their man-monster, noticing him mouth her name when they first burst through the doors. He also recognizes the chemical compound Langstrom had created, and he has the ingredients to recreate it in the Batcave. The Dark Knight detective trails Langstrom into Gotham Central Park. Langstrom wonders if he is now beyond help, feeling his body changing by the minute. Batman finds his quarry on a ridge high above the river. Langstrom sees a small bat fly off into the night before him and longs to follow him to his home, anywhere to escape the nightmare he is living now. He ignores Batman's pleas to help him and jumps from the ridge. Batman is convinced he is leaping to his death, but instinctively Langstrom begins to flap his arms, which grow larger and change into giant leather wings. His transformation now complete, the man-bat follows his little brother on his flight. Batman calls in an APB that even the Gotham police must find unusual, while Man-Bat follows the bat to the tiny entrance of a cave. He struggles to follow with his man-sized body, but eventually makes it inside. But this is no ordinary cave. The trophies and advanced equipment could only point to one place, Batman's headquarters, the Batcave. Before he can even react to his surroundings, Man-Bat is blinded by the sudden activation of lights as the Batmobile roars through the tunnel entrance. He realizes he doesn't need his sight to escape, just his bat sonar, and uses it to find the entrance. But he doesn't realize Batman's car is about to crash right into him. The Dark Knight slams on his brakes and leaps from the vehicle where their two bodies collide. Man-Bat reacts like a cornered animal, as if he is now unable to understand Batman's offer to help him. He flies toward the cave ceiling with Batman in tow until his inhuman strength breaks the Cape Crusader's grip, sending him plummeting to the floor below. Batman manages to break his fall and watches as Man-Bat once more attempts to escape through the cave exit. Knowing if he loses him now, he'll never be able to save him, Batman calls the Batmobile forward with the remote control on his utility belt. The tunnel door slams shut just as Man-Bat crashes into it at full speed. Batman rushes over to his fallen foe, and although he finds him alive, he wonders if he will suffer any brain damage from the concussion. If he can restore Langstrom, will he live out his days as a vegetable? He doesn't ponder the question long, deciding that, if he must die, let it be as the man he once was. He pulls the dusty drop cloth off his equipment and sets out to save Kirk Langstrom's life. So what do you think of this one, Ryan? Oh, it's fun. <laughs> it's yeah. a fun story. Yeah. <laughs> we don't get it. Yeah, I, I like a fun Batman story. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's just, it's, just a fun, it's just a fun distraction. I mean, and, and like we said, there's definitely parts of this one that I myself like conflate with the first story. I mean, this is this is definitely two parts of of one story. Even though they took like two months off before they concluded, you know, they 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 took an there was an issue in between for some strange reason. I don't know why they did that, but right, yeah, right. it's really weird. And we'll and there'll be even more issues before we get to the next chapter, which is really strange. But yeah, and also both of these first two issues there there's elements of them in on leather wings the 
first right, Man Bat right. story in the first episode of Batman the Animated Series. So yeah, yeah, and uh, and your uh, your beloved uh, Power Record story that adapts the Man Bat. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, so what do we think? Do we think that Langstrom just happened to stumble upon the safe crackers? <laughs> When he was snooping around for the compound, <laughs> that was that was a question I had. I was like, mm, "What are they doing there? Why is the, why are they there at the same time?" I don't care. <laughs> yeah, he he needs to get some valuable something from that safe. The safe crackers also want something. It's kind of like the same as the last issue where, you know, they uh, whatever the 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 midnight gang or whatever they were called, like that that used the the knock the the blackout. Uh, technology and everything, they just happen to be going through the Museum of Natural History and, like, stumbled upon him. It's like, these are weird sort of coincidences that, you know, the Man-Bat and Batman both stumble upon these, you know, these criminal, like, break-ins for for different reasons, but oh well, yeah. Maybe Kirk Langstrom hired him, you know? (laughs) Yeah, he needed to get into there somehow, yeah. Safe crackers wanted. (laughs) Put out an ad in the paper or something. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It, it it yeah I think I think we've come to find out that Frank Robbins likes coincidence you know yeah, yeah. so um, we do get some clarification on character motivations and and other things in this story that we were questioning in the last episode because clearly Kirk Langstrom is uh, you know Batman is his hero I mean he's he's definitely got a ton of hero worship for Batman he even tells the one crook when he's like another Batman and he's like there is only one Batman you know so yep. he's definitely you know a charter member of the Batman fan club he got the button in 1966 and everything you know so yeah. uh <laughs> yeah I, I do like that while Batman is appreciative He's not going to let Langstrom think he actually needed his help. He's right, like, right, know, right. Not that I was in real trouble, friend, you know. <laughs> yeah. Jeez, Batman. <laughs> and then this classic sort of thing where, I mean, I, I just, I love this interplay where, you know, the, the doors open and Man Bat needs to get the vial in there. He was going to steal it himself or he's going to pay for it. And Batman's like, Hang on, you you can't do that. We just stopped one criminal. So I can't let you do the same thing that they were going to do. And he's like, I've got the money for it. He's like, it's not business hours. It's two o'clock in the morning. You can't just take something out of the safe. <laughs> and and um, yeah, so so I love that. And then of course he he thinks he's just talking to some guy in a mask until he actually see tries to pull on the ear. And and Batman has that realization confirming his suspicion. It's like this is not. There's something much much more here that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, this is, again, this is Batman. I mean, you know, once he starts to, you know, pulls the the mask off his face and it doesn't come off, then Batman should figure out, okay, this guy's obviously looking for some kind of cure for this, you know, mm-hmm. and just, just, you know, quit trying to come at him and reason with him, talk to him, Batman. This is not as bad, but uh, we keep talking about the animated series, but, it, I mean, you got to, but... The episode Mudslide, where Batman stops Clayface from curing himself. I thought of that scene while I was reading this. I thought of the it's exact really, same thing. He is such a dick in that episode. Yeah. I mean, he—that is Batman at his absolute worst in that series. I mean, and he, and, you know, and I mean, at the end of that, I mean, Clayface pretty much dies. Yeah. I mean, yes. he comes—he comes back in TMBA, but Bruce Tim has even said, "No, we considered him dead." And it's like it's basically Batman's fault at the end of that, you know. So I mean, this is—I mean, this isn't quite as bad, but yeah, Batman's being such a stickler 
that it's like if he just stood back for a minute and said, okay, you, you're probably, what do you want this chemical for? Are you trying to cure yourself? And yes. And he's like, okay, well, let's go back to my bat cave and, and we'll, we'll work on it together. You know? Uh, but no, he's got to keep coming at him and Langstrom hits him with the door again. But I mean, I, I thought that's like, okay, he hit him with the safe door twice. You know? <laughs> yeah. Batman, he, he should have learned like that, that. You can't do that twice. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Uh, Langstrom runs off into the night, of course, with the and he mentions that he is an eminent nocturnal mammal expert. So now we know exactly what he is. So we, right. we thought that's what he was. That's what he classically is. But now they have clarified in this story. He is, a, you know, I guess he is a biologist that, that uh, or zoologist. I guess a zoologist that is um, deals with uh, bats and nocturnal mammals and yeah. So Which, that. that I, I, I don't think nocturnal mammal specialist is like uh, the real thing. Like that's that covers a wide thing. I, I think there would be uh, like you could specialize in bats or like other type of things, but just any kind of mammal awake at night. Like, that's I, I think that's more of a kind of like a broad general category. I mean, yeah, like, that's like yeah. raccoons and possums. Yeah. And- <laughs> All the critters that get in my trash, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's true. Yeah, he could have been man possum, yeah. you know. <laughs> Ooh, that's kind of, that's even worse than man bat. Possums are ugly as hell, man. They're, <laughs> they're scary looking. I mean, they've damn, I've had those damn things like hiss at me and everything else. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, usually, I mean, unfortunately, you usually see them dead on the road. But, I mean, when you see one live and in person, God, they look like giant well, they kind of look like giant rats in a, in a way, you know. So. Oh man, we're we're coming up with like let's we're coming up with our own supervillain right now. Let's we got we got to we got to lock this one down. Come up with the origin story. What, yeah, what man, man possible. <laughs> there was a there was a DJ out of Cincinnati that was I can't I can't think of the guy's actual real name. Uh, Burbank Gary Burbank, and he used to do comedy stuff on on air and. He had he would do these funny commercials and he was talking about how, you know, people in, in Kentucky, you know, eat roadkill and and uh, the, the tagline was possum, the other yellow meat. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I just that just popped in my head that, that we're, we're going off the rat. Yeah, but man, <laughs> man, man, possum, that's that's coming soon to Fire and Water Comics, man, possum. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Batman ponders uh, if he is a human bat or a bat with human traits. I guess weirder things have happened because at one time, Spider-Woman's origin yes. had her as a spider evolved into a woman, right? Yes, indeed. Yeah. That was part of her origin story. Which, whew. <laughs> Thank <Good>. God. <laughs> and it's like, like, it's like, oh man, Carmen Infantino drew her so hot. And then she's like, oh God, she's a spider. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In the cartoon, you know, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, she's hot. Okay, it should be a, a an actual bat that grows to the size of a human and then puts on a suit with an opera cape. It's like, yeah, okay, that actually does sound like a Warner Brothers cartoon. Yeah, it does. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think you know. I noticed Francine. She looks a lot like Lilith of the Teen Titans. I mean, she's got straight strawberry blonde hair, part in the middle, and she's wearing green. Mm. So. Yeah, it's like and Neil Adams had drawn the Titans a little bit here and there, but yeah, she—I don't know if he ever drew Lilith much, 
But yeah, she, she that's like the first time. Like, oh, it's I knew it was Francine, but it's like nobody told me this was Francine. I'm like, oh, this is a crossover with Teen Titans. <laughs> so in my reprint, she's wearing purple. Oh, okay. Yeah, she's got green on in here, and so that really like because Lilith was always wearing that green shirt with the green yeah. skirt, you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I thought I always thought she was Jean Grey. No, she's drinking Jean Grey. There you go. Yeah. That's... <laughs> uh, speaking of this being the yeah. reprint copy, because sometimes they like with the text they do different on the first page. Go back to the first page. Okay. The title logo, man or bat. I love that design. Yeah, that's like cool. the the sort of like the the bat emblem. It's it's almost it's kind of somewhat evocative of the title of like the the cover page or what they would do on like the TV show or something like that. But you know, it's got that silhouette with the wide wide kind of like broad bat wings and everything like that. And the title is written in that in big text. I love that. I like. I would want to see that on every comic. <laughs> like that. That should be like the default way of how they do their titles. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I, I really like it. It's very similar to the the logo of um, I think Batman had changed to that logo, that classic logo. Um, you know, there was basically two classic logos in the seventies, and there's the one where the words are like inside the the bat shape. Yeah, uh, and it was later used on Detective in the early eighties. It's similar to that, and it's also the same logo that Migo used on on all their Batman stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but it's it's similar to that. But it, yeah, it's very cool. And I noticed man or bat on the cover uses the exact same man and bat lettering that was on the challenge of the man bat on the cover, which is a, kind of a de facto logo for man bat at this <laughs> point. So I thought that was neat. Yeah, it's probably uh, Irish Snap or one of those guys right. or uh, Gaspar Saldino. um Doing the cover, you know, we've talked about how wonderful their lettering was back in the day. The hand, the hand lettered stuff they did is just amazing. It, it really does add a lot to comics. I, I feel like DC had a lot, a lot better lettering than like Marvel. You know, yeah. I mean that that's yeah. one thing they had them beat on was the stylized lettering that they had. So yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I will say this. You know, they come in and. Man Bat drops the the formula on the floor. I would love to see in one of these monster movies, stories, where the person just drops to the floor and starts licking it up. You know, because, <laughs> I mean, wouldn't some of it help? I mean, if I was this desperate, I mean, I would literally, I mean, like, you know, I've dropped, like, food on the floor and been mm-hmm. like, oh, man, I really wanted to eat that. And then I'm like... Okay, is the floor clean enough for me to eat this off of? You know, I mean, it, it's like, have I mopped the floor recently enough? Have the dogs not walked through the house? You know, I mean, I, I always usually throw it away. But, I mean, it's like, it, if I was that desperate, I would, like, be on my hands and knees, like, lapping it up. You know right, what I'm right. saying? But he just jumps out the window. So, And it's like, really? You were so scared of the sight of your fiance that you dropped it like that's what like i mean i i kind of have to know prize it is that at this point he's he's reverting to the animal self and it's more instinctual that's the intruders that causes him to panic but yeah 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 that's yeah i, I would have to give it that too yeah it's yeah and, and we we talked about it on the last episode too and at this point in the story we're, i mean we're going to see he he has not developed wings yet that that will happen in in this at the end of this sequence but i love the look of him just as a guy wearing a suit with a cape but then having like the man bat face feet and uh, and hands 
It's mm-hmm. kind of like like it does have a, a little bit more of a universal monster type of like uh, function thing. Like I really dig this as a character. Like if this had been Man Bat's thing for a longer period, and then you know he eventually got the I would say evolution or devolution into the like the full upper torso Man Bat monster thing with the wings, but. Yeah, I mean, it does. It really does recall a lot of, um, you know, Mister Hyde, and mm-hmm. and in, in particular, like I said, Werewolf of London, the Henry Hole, where yep. he's he's dressed. I mean, you know, Lon Chaney's uh, Larry Talbot wears, you know, his usual shirt and pants, but like we said, I mean, you know, Werewolf of London's got on his cap and a scarf, and I mean, he's <laughs> dressed to the nines, go out on the town with a, you know, with his Elvis werewolf look, as Rick Baker called it once upon a time. So. Uh, <laughs> That is a really interesting makeup in, in that. I kind of like that one. There's there's a little more humanity to it. I mean, I like the Wolfman better, but right. well, we're digressing into Universal Monsters too much. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> don't get me started, Ryan. <laughs> that was a trap. He fell into it. It's a trap. Uh, uh, okay, I can get the Batman Red Francine on Langstrom's lips, but he can recognize the chemical compound. <laughs> <laughs> And that's Adam West level of super competency, right there. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's 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 very. I mean, yeah, I know Batman's an expert at everything, but I mean, he, you know, uh, maybe I mean maybe he pieced together what he stole from the lab and putting two and two together. I, maybe we can give him that, I guess. So, but it, it is a little, it's a little bit of a stretch. But yeah. he's he's the world's greatest detective <laughs> and chemist. Yeah, and chemist yeah. <laughs> And he's super rich, so all he's, super rich. <laughs> yeah. he's the entire package. Yeah, um, for some reason, Man Bat on the ridge by that old gnarly tree, as drawn by Adams, makes me think of the Aurora model kits, like Dracula and Batman. They both had old gnarly trees in their <laughs> model kits. So, and they've been reissued and reissued over the years. But it makes me think, it's like, oh man, I wish somebody done a Man Bat model kit. <laughs> nice. yeah. That'd be sweet. <laughs> uh, uh you know, I did notice, though, you're talking about his clothes. At the biochem office, Langstrom looks like he's wearing a trench coat and a suit. And when Batman and Francine interrupt him, he has on his cape in a suit like last issue. So he looks like a proto Ra's al Ghul. Uh, mm-hmm. if you, basically, if you, <laughs> when we first meet Ra's, when he first walks in the Batcave, you know, the classic. You're right. They're, they're basically the look that the animated guys use. So He does change it. He does swap from trench coat to cape, which we noticed last issue, too. Yeah. Yeah, and it looks like Adams may be trying to telegraph that Langstrom is removing his jacket and shirt on uh, in panel five on page nine because he's he's kind of like he almost looks like he's getting ready to do a shirt rip a la Clark Kent, you know, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, right before he leaves because in panel six he has bare arms in the cape, yeah, because he's getting ready to sprout the wings. So yep. yeah, so I think there's you know Adams didn't throw him show him throwing the jacket away, but he. He's like instinctively like taking his cl- clothes off, you know, because maybe his animal instinct is telling him you need to, you know, you need to keep your arms free, dude. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, in mine, in the bottom panel, his right arm is is bare, but his left arm still has the sleeve on it. Weird. Oh, really? Yeah. Let me check. Let me check the original here. Let's it's, see. It's still colored, like it's kind of like a whitish, kind of blue or something like that, and it has like the the sleeve collar, like the, the yeah. Oh yeah, it does. Yeah, it's it's. You're right. I think I think they I think the colorist colored him, but I think Adam still drew drew him with uh, clothes on because he's got a cuff yeah. on his left hand. Yeah, that you can see. Yeah. 
So, yep. Oops. Oops. <laughs> this is like Batman's disappearing utility belt in the Joker's five way revenge. Yeah. <laughs> but he then he sprouts his wings. So what, what what do you think about this? Um, I would have expected a moment like this to get something closer to a splash page now, like uh, some very significant dramatic reveal that would have taken up more of the page. Um, but uh, I mean that those were those were less common at the time and. Uh, Adams is going for a different effect. It's still, I mean, the transition, it's it's fine. I mean, I, I was kind of getting used to seeing him wearing the suit and cape or the trench coat, which I, I kind of liked, but now we're getting into more of the classic monstrous animalistic man bat. So it's okay. Um, the fact that he kind of jumps and he's sprouting the wings underneath the cape, and then we see the cape fluttering away too. Um, it's, it's a cool moment. I do wish Adams had had, like, another page to really go with it. No. Yeah, he doesn't. He's Adams isn't as experimental with his layout in this one. He's not. Mm-mm. It's it's more of a standard comic layout in in this one. I noticed is there's not anything. There's not. I mean, the art. It's Neil Adams. Of course, it's in in 1970. It's right. it's wonderful. It's you know the the epitome of comics <laughs> art really, or the apex of comics art. I should say it, it, it's. Uh, but it, there's not anything like that's overly. Like, uh, you know, we usually point out, oh, this one layout or this one panel, and it's like there's not one thing. It's all s- super well done, but, yeah, it, yeah, that's, it is strange that he didn't kind of make more of a meal out of that. Um, but, yeah. Maybe so. there was, I mean, maybe it was more rushed or there were scheduling things. I mean, the fact that this did come out a, a month or an issue later than it perhaps was supposed to. Um, like, if this was originally supposed to be 401, um, mm. and, and he couldn't because of his, his scheduling or something like that. I mean, maybe if he was crushing the deadline or something, he didn't, he was just kind of playing it safer and looser with like the layouts and everything like that. And just letting his talent just really go into the, the actual line work and, and the images. I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Me neither. Um, we talked about how Robbins loves coincidence and man bat follows that little bat straight to the bat cave. Yeah. <laughs> I think you know. I think he could have cut cut down on that by just having, like, Man Bat like double back around and follow Batman. You know, follow the Batmobile. I think, I think that would have you know, because now he's you know having be like fighting mad about it, or you know, now he wants to get Batman. You know, but mm-hmm. maybe they didn't want they didn't they don't quite go there here. He kind of curses Batman for interrupting his uh, you know him taking the formula, but that's about it. So. Uh, we do see the giant penny and and uh, the covered up 1950 Batmobile. You can recognize it by its long frame and the huge fin. Which, which the 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 tarp covering it really hugs that fin. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> oh, is the fin? Is it colored like the tarp in your comic? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Okay, in mine, it's poked out and it's it's colored uh, it's it's colored uh, blue. It's oh, okay, so that makes more sense because the tarp is around it. No, in this, it's colored as if it's the tarp. So it's like the tarp is covering it, and then it's just like, why is it so tight on the fin? And then just kind of like, okay, so yeah, yours would make more sense. Yeah, it looks like Batman or Alfred cut a hole in it and then yep. placed it. It's like it's like Master Bruce, I can't get this to cover this. Just cut a hole in it, you know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> So, yeah, so we're we're in the era where, uh, as we pointed out, um, you know, in uh, Batman number 217, Dick went off to college at Hudson University and Bruce decided that, you know, Alfred, we need to move to uh, to the city. 
um, you know, and he kind of rededicated himself uh, to um, being a, you know, a more urban uh, Batman, less weighted down by gadgets and and paraphernalia. This is a clear uh, move from the comics to say we're moving away from the TV show. (laughs) Um, But they had returned to uh, Wayne Manor already at this point in, in Batman number 222, which was the infamous uh, Beatles, uh, Paul is dead issue, uh, where they did that whole, uh, uh, little thing. And that was, I think Frank Robbins and Irv Novick that did that one, but they've, so they've already been back to Wayne Manor at this point, but the bat cave, everything's all covered in drop cloths and it's just occasionally used throughout the seventies. And, and eventually as in our Englehart Rogers era stories, he establishes the second bat cave under the Wayne foundation. So just a little bit of where we're at in bat continuity here. So, <laughs> um, I kind of like that Batman and man bat just clumsily collide with each other <laughs> because, you know, clumsiness is a rare thing in superhero comics. You know, it's <laughs> that awkward moment where Batman's trying to stop him and he just like, he darts around the car thanks to his sonar, but then runs right into Batman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and then we get our first aerial battle with Batman and Man Bat, even though it's brief, it's a hallmark of every Man Bat story. So it was it was nice to see it see it happen. Once he got his wings, it was inevitable that he was going to take Batman for a little bit of a ride anyway. So right, right, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, no, I, and then yeah, seeing this, I can I, I always I can't help but go back to again on Leather Wings, the the animated series, and like the you know the famous shot of like the skyline with the big full moon, and and you just see the silhouette of the main bat flying in front of it, and then pulling Batman's silhouette behind it on the rope. Um, yep. And then when when they you see the Zeppelin with the Gotham Police Zeppelin and then they're just kind of like patrolling and Batman's face just smashing into the window. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, such a great what a great episode to start out with. Too bad they showed the Cat in the Claw Part One on Saturday before that was on Sunday. Uh, and I, I missed that. I don't know if we've ever talked about. It. I missed Cat in the Claw Part One because the and I only saw it like when I I first tuned into. Um, the the second part of or like the the second half of uh, on leather wings I only saw the second half of it at first because I thought the show started on Monday I didn't know it was going to be on Saturdays and Sunday too yeah so I didn't know about those previews so I was like wait wait they're starting it already and then yeah so yeah I remember being at my like we were up at my uncle's and aunt's house just up the street for some kind of dinner or something mm-hmm. and I think it was coming on like at seven and we usually didn't do anything that late I don't know why we were there so late it was some like one of my cousin's birthdays or something. And I, you know, I was like, I got to get home. I got to get home. It's coming on at like seven or seven thirty whenever it was coming on. And I remember like literally running down the street to, to get, to, to get to the house in time to, I mean, I had the VCR set up to record it, but I wanted to watch it. Cause I'd, I'd watched the cat in the claw the day before. And it, the first part's actually better than the second part, but yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, you should have started with on. Oh, this is this is it now. Oh, now yeah. now we're talking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. After seeing this, after seeing the second part of On Leather Wings, like I, I was like, I was already planning to watch the show, but then yeah, I, I got the the blank VHS tape and I recorded every episode after school. Yeah, yep. I had I ended up having like two full VHS tapes of the animated series before I, had, I would end up going back and getting the DVDs. So. 
Yep, yep, yep. And I even in when I went to college, my mom would record Superman, Batman, and then Superman while I was while I was she'd throw a tape in and tape them yeah. for me. So, <laughs> and I watched the tapes so much that when I got the DVDs, I was mad that they were in the production order instead of the broadcast order. Mm, um, yeah, because I because I still think of them. I was like, no, the first five regular episodes is Heart of Ice, Feet of Clay, or one and two, and then it's never too late, and then Joker's favor. I was like, Joker's favor is the first joker episode right right yeah not not christmas with the joker in like september right right yes. right <laughs> with robin yeah. who doesn't appear again for like another month yeah that's... right exactly yeah yeah it's the scarecrow episode yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we're well, back to the comic what do we think uh, that batman is bouncing uh, off of on panel three on page 15 is that another batmobile and in in my comic it's colored blue uh, the the bottom thing that's not under yeah. the tarp, right? Yeah, mine. It's it's like a dark blue. It's hard to tell. It does sort of look like another Batmobile. Um, yeah, I don't know what it is. It looks like it's. It might be a piece of equipment. It almost looks like it's got a bat symbol on it though on the front of it. I don't know. It might just be a shadow. But I've always wondered what that was because I'm like, well, what is that? There's not enough information for me to tell what it is but it also looks like it's on a pedestal so i don't know what it is it, it i've always just puzzled what what is that so <laughs> i just thought maybe you had a clue i don't know <laughs> yeah there's not an, i mean it, it kind of i mean because it almost looks like there's a, a headlight or something but it's all colored so solidly that it's yeah if it's another like bat gyrocopter or something like that yeah it might be the bat copter or something yeah that's like, true yeah yeah um it, you know it's interesting the way this ends because i'm so used to seeing comic characters Getting knocked out, I find it surprising that Frank Robbins actually put some worry into the thoughts of both Batman and Man Bat when when Batman gets hit by the safe and then when Man Bat crashes into the door that they could be dead mm-hmm. or brain damaged by the impact to their heads. I mean, you know, I know you've you know you know Rob did the whole bonk on the head thing with Aquaman and all those <laughs> Golden Age stories and. On the Aquaman Shrine, you've talked about how Black Canary, how many times she every, got knocked uh, Every out. issue of her Golden Age story, she always got knocked unconscious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she would literally have brain damage at, at some yep. point, yeah. So it, it's, or, or be dead, yeah. It, it, it's, so I, I think that's, I think it's interesting that that he actually put some, some weight into that because comics just, I mean, willy-nilly just, well, the TV shows are bad about it too. Just concuss the hell out of their right. their characters with with no <laughs> no consequence. So. Well, what's worse than a man bat is a man bat with post concussion syndrome. That exactly, <laughs> that's right. And and like we said, this just leaves us hanging. And next month, no man bat story, and none in Batman either. And we don't get the follow up until Detective Number Four Hundred Seven. So. Did they really have five stories they had to tell that were that important? I, mean, <laughs> I, 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 I think it was just like they they needed Neil Adams to do the to do the the to finish it off, but he and he couldn't do it until I don't know. He couldn't do it until the night. Like he didn't. Have, I don't know. Yeah, he just he couldn't. He he couldn't do that monthly on Batman or Detective when he was also doing Green Lantern or something. Well, and I looked it up as far as Batman stories. I didn't look ever, look up everything he did in between, but he drew Detective 404's classic Ghost of the Killer Skies, which is the Enemy Ace story. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's uh, right. And, and with, written by Denny O'Neill. And then with Denny, he also did the Red Water, Red Water Crimson Death and Brave and the Bold 93, which was the team up with the House of Mystery. 
Um, so th- those came out in between this issue and 407, which is the next Man Bat chapter. So, uh, you know, I I don't know. Readers were much more patient back then, apparently, because can you imagine that happening now? All the people going to the internet, it's like, what, what, you know, where's the Man Bat story? You know, <laughs> do you know? If, do you know if Frank Robbins wrote all the issues in between too? You know, I don't know. Well, I mean, Denny wrote 404 because that's the Ghost of right. the Killer Skies. So I don't know. They they seemed to, like I don't really know why, you know, what Julie uh how he scheduled. It seemed like Batman and Detective literally the stories were interchangeable at yeah. this point, yeah. you know. Uh because it was, you know, you didn't know if you were going to get Frank Robbins and you were either going to get Frank Robbins or Denny O'Neill probably as writer and you were either going to get Adams occasionally or more than likely, Irv Novick and Bob Brown as the artists. That's who you're going to get right in this period. So, uh, with Adams basically pinch hitting and doing almost all the covers. So, uh, so yeah, I, I I really don't know. So yeah, it's it's just interesting that they that they you know it, it's so not what comics would do nowadays. You right. know, right. it's just it's interesting, especially with the, the both of them basically having cliffhangers. Um, you know, and this one really having a cliffhanger now that you don't, I mean, you can kind of, you can, I could almost see there being more of a gap between 400 and 402, but the, the ending of this one demands that it be followed up on fairly quickly, but it's not. So there you go. <laughs> but I really enjoy this. Like you said, I, it's, it's, it's fun and it's got that, it's got that gothic spooky atmosphere that permeated like every DC comic in the seventies. I mean, it, 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 I, I can't, I don't see that mention enough in, in histories. It's just like, all you got to do is go to Mike's amazing world, find this comic and go through the newsstand to see what else is out there. And I mean, almost every DC superhero comic will have some kind of horror element on it. You know, I mean, it'll, it'll look like it could be a mystery title. I mean, the, it's like, you know, they, the, the comics code had, slacked off on being so strict against monsters and you know you couldn't you couldn't even use terms like vampires or werewolves for years and you know marvel was having a field day coming out with all their monster characters and and dc was going full on into the you know the mystery titles were selling like crazy and and they were injecting all this into their comics so it's i i I love it it's it's so it's such an odd you know, it's such an odd thing, really, really. But it's it's uh, you know, Hammer movies were big, and Dark Shadows was big on TV, and and Gothic horror romance novels were huge, and it was everywhere. Everything was mossy green and and fog filled. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was sort of like the once they brought on Joe Orlando for the mystery and horror titles, it sort of permeated their whole the whole line. Yeah. And he rose up through the ranks to be a top dog at DC, so maybe that had something to do with it too. So, yeah, yeah. and I mean, I I love the things that you mentioned, like the Universal Horror, Hammer Horror, Dark Shadows, all of those things. So, I definitely I I have an appreciation for this era of DC for the for that look and that feel to be so prevalent around these books, uh, even when it doesn't seem like it necessarily. Why would you have a Flash story that feels like this? Eh, yeah, I don't care. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, that's all I got for that one. But. Me too. So we'll take a quick break. and we come back, Ryan will tell you about Batman number 453. Stay tuned. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. 
Richard Pryor? Yes, it's Superman 3 Movie Minute. On Superman 3 Movie Minute, we'll be examining Richard Lester's 1983 film Five Minutes at a Time. This time around, we don't just have Superman. We have evil Superman, Lana Lang, a scary robot lady, and yes, Richard Pryor. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. They blew up the chicken man in Philly last night And they blew up his house too Down on the boardwalk, they're ready for a fight Gonna see what them racket boys can do Batman 453 has a cover date of late August 1990. According to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics, the on-sale date was July 3rd. The cover price was $1, and the striking cover image by Mike Mignola and George Pratt shows Batman overwhelmed by zombified corpses rising out of the earth of a graveyard. As the Cape Crusader screams in terror, a lone, very Mignola-esque statue seems to preside over the spectacle like some kind of sinister priest. The logo once again includes the title Dark Knight, Dark City, part two of three. What do you think? Oh man, now we're we're starting to put things together here because uh, that little that figure in the background sure looks a lot like the gargoyle that was in the foreground mm-hmm. on the last cover. And uh, yeah, Mignola drawing Batman in zombified skeletons in a cemetery. What's not to love? This is fa- <laughs> fan, fan damn tastic. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. This is one of my, you know, favorite covers. Um, I mean, compared to the the last cover, which I also really love. I mean, that one seems a bit more universal because it's just Batman leaping through the skyline, and you can kind of like, you can put that in almost any context. This one, I mean, it's definitely a horror theme, um, but it just looks so good. Yeah, and and Mignola, obviously, he would do Hellboy, but he also created a Zombie World for uh, Dark Horse Comics. Um, so yeah, it's just, and yeah, I also, I recognize the same kind of facial sculpture for this, the statue, uh, and, and for the gargoyle. I think he also had that all over his adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula. So it's just, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, these, these familiar, uh, themes and tropes for Mignola's work, but yeah. Hey, Gary Oldman showed up in Batman years before uh, Batman began. So there, there you go. You go. There you go. <laughs> Dark Knight Dark City Part 2 is written by Peter Milligan, penciled by Kieran Dwyer, inked by Dennis Yankee, lettered by John Costanza, colored by Adrian Roy, and edited by Denny O'Neill. Picking up right where last issue and the cover left us, the Batman is looking for clues in Gotham Cemetery when corpses rise from their graves and attack him. While defending himself from what sure looks like the Walking Dead, Batman manages to strike one of the zombies hard enough to elicit a groan of pain, verifying his suspicion that the corpses aren't as dead as they appear. When Batman tries to separate the wounded would-be corpse, the rest mob him more aggressively. Batman ups his fighting tactics, breaking one of the zombies' arms off, revealing that it was an animatronic drone, operated by the Riddler who watches the whole scene from a van at the edge of the cemetery. Once the zombie's secret is exposed, 
All of the mechanical corpses shut down, leaving only the one live goon who was pretending to be a corpse. But when Batman catches him, the Riddler triggers an explosive on the goon, silencing him forever. Riddler's other henchmen are horrified at his wanton disregard for a member of the gang, noting that he has never seemed so crazy or bloodthirsty before this. Batman catches up to the van before they can escape. The driver slams on the brakes, throwing the Dark Knight detective to the ground. Before the driver can run Batman down, however, the Riddler takes the wheel and swerves out of the way, saving Batman, and confirming for the detective that this whole scheme is all for an audience of one, Batman himself. After Riddler drives off, Batman returns to the scene with the robot corpses and the dead impersonator. He reflects on how much money and preparation this plan of Riddler's would take, but also on how much the Prince of Puzzles has changed, so much more willing, eager even, to draw innocent blood. At a nearby grave, Batman finds the second of the four babies kidnapped from the nursery last issue. Carved into a grave by the child is the Riddler's clue. You'll find another little tot at the 25th who was shot. Cut to the journal entry confession of Jacob Stockman, 1793. Stockman recalls how he and his friends had converted his barn into a dark temple for a wicked ritual called the Ceremony of the Bat. Young Thomas Jefferson stopped Stockman before he could murder the sacrificial virgin that would give them control over the demon Barbathos. But they still summoned something, because when Jefferson throws the door open, a black-winged creature flies inside. Stockman, along with the rest of the cultists, panic and flee, leaving the intended sacrifice trapped inside with the beast. Sealing the barn, Stockman sold the farm and moved away from Gotham. Over the next 200 years, the property was assimilated into the rapidly growing city of Gotham. On this night, Batman drives the Batmobile through the city. When he cruises past the spot where the old barn of the Dark Arts once stood, Batman reflects on how he's always felt a superstitious dread about that part of town, like he's being watched by something. Back at Wayne Manor, Bruce is haunted by the nightmare of his parents' death. He flashes back to the night they left the theater showing the Mark of Zorro walking past McKinley Street toward the place where they were destined to be killed. Bruce wakes from the terrible dream recalling that President McKinley was the 25th president and that he was shot. Elsewhere in town, the Riddler makes sure his surviving goons have tested a working flamethrower and a set of pets that were so ferocious they nearly killed one of the gang. Batman goes to a bar on McKinley Street and starts to question the bartender when a van crashes through the window. The back of the van opens up and three ferocious pitbull terriers rush out, attacking the bar patrons. Batman tries to subdue the dogs, but the third one leaps on him, savagely chomping at him. The bartender hands Batman a silver knife, and, seeing no other option, Batman stabs the poor dog, killing it. As people begin to recover, Batman notices the bartender run away and follows him. He spots Riddler's getaway van. Inside is a radio with the Riddler giving Batman another clue where to find him. The Riddler adds to the pressure by mentioning the little baby is holding something. A ping-pong ball. And, oops, he put it in his mouth. 
Batman drives the van to the address from the Riddler's clue and deduces Riddler's in the sewer. When Batman climbs down into the sewer, the Riddler floods it with a blinding white light. As Batman is temporarily dazed, the Riddler's henchmen attack him with clubs. Catching his breath, Batman fights them off and then finds the Riddler standing at a crib with one of the kidnapped babies. He tells Batman the baby has swallowed the ping-pong ball and is choking, and then he casually walks off, knowing that Batman will have to deal with the baby. Batman tries to dislodge the ball from the baby's throat, but it's stuck. There's no time to take the choking cherub to the hospital. With no other option, Batman takes out a blade in order to perform an emergency tracheotomy. To be continued. Alrighty, Chris, your thoughts? Well, uh, <laughs> well, like I said last time, I you know I couldn't stand myself and had to read all three parts um, after I read the first one. So that tells you that uh, this is a uh, this is a you know this is a nail biter, and I mean things continue to just to get. I mean from the outside, I mean I haven't read ever haven't read this years ago, and having read it again, uh, I know what the end game is, but. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know, the buildup, I mean, just in the little, the little things that Milligan just keeps dropping at us that it just, it just makes me, uh, you know, it's, it's just so well crafted. I just, this is just, I mean, it, I, I don't want to say it's fun because it's pretty dark, but it's mm-hmm. just, it's very entertaining. I just put it yeah. that way. <laughs> yeah. And it, I mean, it's, it's a brutal story. I mean, th- I mean, this story has things that I, I should hate, um, yeah. you know, there, there's violence against dogs. Um, yeah. there's endangering a baby. Um, but it's, I, I, I would say like there, there's any, there, it's, it doesn't feel like emotionally crass or, or, you know, kind of pointless. Like the, this heightened emotional turmoil, this duress that Riddler is putting Batman through serves a point, even if we're not quite sure at this point what it is. We know that they're building to something. I mean, like the in the previous issue, Mignola, he knows how to drag Batman through a tight, emotionally fraught story with, you know, killing off the Sphinx woman early on, blowing up the blood bank so Batman is covered in blood, and then having to almost run over the baby. And in this one, you know... You know, we like like when the dogs there are attacking. You know, there's an off-duty cop who shoots one of the dogs, and, like, Ugh. and then Batman has to stab one just because there's no other choice. And then at the end of this, he has to perform an emergency trach on the baby. Like yeah. I remember getting to the end of this one, I was like, "What is he going to do with the knife?" <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, yeah, exactly. It's like, I, are they actually going to do this? Yeah, I mean. It, that, but that's the thing. This the whole thing. Like we said last time, this is an outlier, and it it's commented throughout that this is unusual. That the Riddler has has become this twisted, this this bloodthirsty. You know, so uh, you know, it's 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 the same thing. You know, it's kind of the same thing. What's like, you know, when Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen were the outliers for comics. You know that that you know not all comics were that way, but then other people you know said oh well, i want to do that kind of comic too so i i don't think this comic had that kind of impact but this is definitely the type of stuff that this is you know uh just an average scott snyder issue of batman you know mm-hmm. uh you know <laughs> i mean basically uh but back in 1990 this was very unusual 
Yeah, right. right. So. <laughs> um, I actually I, I made the connection. Uh, probably the first. Well, I, no, I would say after this, the the next time that I would see an emergency tracheotomy done, like dramatized, was in an epi- uh, I think a second season episode of ER uh, mm. done by George Clooney, who went on <laughs> to play Batman. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I don't know how he did it with his head bobbling the whole time, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, somehow he managed it. Yeah, no, I think George Clooney was very good on ER, but, uh, yeah, so, yeah, George Clooney, uh, native Kentuckian, up, born up the road from me here. So, there you go, there you uh, go. Yeah, there you go, around Maysville, Augusta, Kentucky, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I, I will say, though, that the opening narration from Gotham, it's disturbing. Mm. It, it's like how it wants Batman, and it describes the corpse coming at him as a sweet thing. It's like, ooh, that's like all like sorts of like uh, Stephen Kingy type uh, narration there. That's just yeah, like, yeah. Ugh. <laughs> like he wants to like consume him and, and pull it, drag him back down to the earth so that he he's like almost assimilated into the city. Yes. Yeah, there's yeah. this just feeling of like death, and, and yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, we don't have the city narrating very much, but that first page is pretty, pretty gruesome. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, cut to like the next couple of pages. It was Batman fighting these zombies, and and yeah, on, on page two, that third panel with the one guy who slams him over the head. It's like, mm, yeah, that doesn't look quite like a corpse so much as a guy wearing green makeup. So it's pretty. It's, it's a nice little artistic touch when that is revealed that it's just a guy. Yeah. You know, they don't they don't really say, but I wonder, were these like real skeletons that Riddler added animatronics to in some cases? You know, I mean, we might get it out of the next chapter that the at least the one that like apparently attaches itself to Batman. I think that might be like a actual skeleton um, because spoiler warning that ties into what we find out. But um it, you know, it's that makes it even more disturbing, and and it, and honestly, it reminds me of the movie Poltergeist mm. because you know they, you know that the famous scene with Joe Beth Williams in the the pool, uh, you know where they were digging their pool and it's full of rain and all these corpses come up. Those were at least some of those were like real skeletons. Uh, because at that time Hollywood didn't have like manufacturing authentic looking skeletons down. So ironically in a movie that's all about you disturb graves and this shit happened, they used real skeletons uh, and (laughs) Joe Beth Williams didn't find out till later. And then of course there's all this stuff about, Oh, the movie was cursed because the little girl died and the teenage girl was killed by her boyfriend and ex-boyfriend and all that, you know, but uh, although Craig T Nelson and Joe Beth Williams are fine as far as I know. Uh, but, but yeah, so it made me think of that, you know, that kind of like, uh, using real, <laughs> did, did the Riddler like actually dig up some graves and, and add animatronics to them to it, it which makes it even worse, you know, of course, cause it, yeah, I don't know. They might be all fake, but, uh, I'm, it, I'm trying to decide which one would be more cost effective because yeah, this is for, for, for his scheme, this is a lot of work and effort and money. You're gonna create you a get a loan from Lex Luthor, you know, or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, hey, Lex, remember when we were in the Legion of Doom together? Can I borrow some? <laughs> mm-hmm. I need some cash fast, yeah. you know. I got a scheme. Uh, <laughs> and I, I love the bottom of the three when you know he's like clapping his hands together. He's so giddy, and you just get the goons. So it's like, 
what's happening to the boss? Never seen him so crazy or bloodthirsty for that matter. It's like, who knows? Maybe it's a midlife crisis or something. Like, they, they, it's a really important note that they know. It's like, this is not typical Riddler behavior. Right. I, I love that. I love the fact that everybody, Batman, his thugs, it's all pointing to the fact that this this is not this is not the Riddler. Yeah, this is. I mean, he's not acting right even for him. I do think it's kind of funny. The blonde thug Chuck looks quite a bit like Kieran Dwyer's John Walker, yeah. aka the U.S. agent, and <laughs> yep. and Steve Rogers' replacement as Captain America. Yep. <laughs> he's got that. He's even got a broken nose, which he always drew. Uh, John Walker with kind of a crooked nose, so yep, yep. Uh, I thought that was, uh, soon coming soon to the Falcon in the Winter Soldier. I was going to say soon to make his debut in March or April on the show. Yeah, isn't that Kurt Russell's son that's yep. playing him? Yep, I think yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's cool. Yeah. So I'm in. Oh, I can't wait for that. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then yeah, I mean Riddler is uh, like not like just willing to kill off one of his goons to silence him, but just, like, planting a bomb on him, too. Jeez, where did he get one from Amanda Waller? I was going to say. I was like, Edward Amanda Waller Nigma. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I I will say, and I love Kieran Dwyer's artwork, but, you know, we do get a big splash page of Batman fighting the zombies, and it's great, but after that cover by Mignola, uh, you know, it's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <You know>? yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's it's Mignola. I mean, he is. I mean, he is the heir apparent to you know Bernie Wrightson. I think in a lot of ways, as far as modern horror co- in comics, you know. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. even though they don't have very similar styles, it's just you know because he he's kind of the guy. If you want something creepy, go find Mike Mignola. You know, so right, that's right. that's not a dig at at Dwyer. It's just it because I love it. It's just. Uh, Mike Mignola's Mike Mignola. I mean, it's sort of like, yeah, I mean, like, looking at, it's like, um, looking at an interior page of, like, a Conan comic by, you know, Barry Smith or John Buscema, one of the greats or something like that, and then you've got a Frank Frazetta cover painting or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's the same same thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I love on the bottom of page six as they're driving away that with Riddler talking to is good, and then just Batman on the windshield and covered up. You can't even like see it very clearly, but I just love that image. And they're like, "Ah, Jesus!" Yeah, it's really well done. You can just imagine the thump, you know, (laughs) of Batman just like hitting the windshield. Yeah, it's 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 very cinematic. Yeah, it's it's really it's really well done. Yeah, and I love the fact that that Chuck is taken up for Jimmy that it's like, you killed Jimmy. He's one of us, you know? And yeah. it's like, gee, Chuck, you might want to calm down. He just blew the dude's throat out, you know, yep. <laughs> protect yourself, Chuck. But Chuck's, <laughs> you know, I guess there is some honor among thieves, you know? So, <laughs> yeah, I will say before we leave the cemetery, that shot of dead Jimmy on page eight, that is really well done and disturbing the way that, Dwyer draws his eyes and yeah. just the, the position of his head and his mouth and ugh, it's really uh, and there's just the, the like the grease paints like just mm-hmm. enough of it's off his face that you can see his uh, you know Caucasian flesh color underneath it makes it even worse it's it's really it's just really well done I I yeah. think Dwyer was probably watching a Romero movie or two so probably yeah not I think Max you're right. Romero but the other one yeah yeah <laughs> that other Romero. <laughs> Not Caesar Romero, the other other one. That's Caesar Romero. 
<laughs> the the flashback with the the Stockman's journal entry. This part was kind of a letdown because I don't think it really advanced enough of the story. We just get the two pages, and it, it's like, okay, yeah, they let something in. We kind of knew something like that was happening in the last one, and all right, they seal up. The, everybody panics. They leave the the innocent woman in there with the beast. Uh, and then they just get out of town and just, like, leave that. I was like, all right, that, that didn't feel like – to me, it just felt like they, they didn't do un- give enough information, which obviously the next the next chapter will really revisit this and play this off. Um, but I did love uh, the page 11, just the, the transition, the five panels of going from, you know, late 17, like, you know, late 1700s Gotham to, you know, late 1900s and over, over 200 years, how the city has changed. Yeah. I, I really love that. And it, and, and it, Gotham looks so dirty and, but it looks real. It's not, a, you know, it's not a hellish Anton first Gotham city. It's a real, like gritty 1970s New York Gotham City, even though it's the 90s. It, but it's everything's just real dirty and and just yeah. But it it looks it looks really real well done. I will say one thing: when you're reading the synopsis, this hadn't jumped out at me before. But you said 1793, and I'm like, wait a minute, is that right? And I looked, and it's like, yeah, sure, it says 1793. I'm like, did it say 1793 in part one? Got part one out, looked. Thomas Jefferson was 50 years old in 1793. He would become president in 1801. <laughs> right, but but in uh, I don't have chapter one right next to me. In part one, it's that's when the journal was written, but he was describing an event from like 20 years earlier, I think. Oh, that's Actually, it. Let okay. Me, I do have I do have my notes from the previous uh, synopsis. You're right. That's what. Okay, that's the disconnect. Okay. Yeah, the I, the, I, the, I ju- the diary entry was 1793, but it recounted events from 1764, so about okay. 30 years earlier. So that's okay. why Thomas Jefferson was so young. Okay, because I was going to say, I mean that that okay okay because I I just briefly I guess I remembered that from part one, but in part two I didn't remember when it was. I guess I was I was conflating the date it was written with the date that it happened. Right, right. And and uh, yeah, okay. So we're all good. Okay, I, I was surely to goodness Milligan would have done enough research to know that you know how old Thomas Jefferson should have been in the story and before he you know was involved in you know <laughs> the declaration and yeah, being yeah. The president and everything else because he's literally like seven years away from being president. <laughs> yeah. So. In 1793. So, right. yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. We're good. We're good. I mean, considering you know the, the books came out like two weeks apart, you might have might have wanted to include both of those dates just for clarification. But um, yeah, on that page, the bottom of eleven, when we've now got to sort of the modern Gotham City, the signage of the building on the corner, I think it says Colonel Parker's Fried Chicken. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like, like Elvis is Colonel Parker. <laughs> like That's funny. <laughs> Imagine if Colonel Sanders was Elvis's, uh, you know, manager. <laughs> there you go. How, how things would have been different, you know. <laughs> <laughs> be a great place. Yeah, get, come and get some fried chicken and some records. <laughs> some music and chicken place. Imagine all the grease on the vinyl, though. Oh. I mean, you know. It's like <laughs> uh. <laughs> you know, I will. I will point this out. I, you know. I, in my day job, I am, uh, you know, a graphic designer and, uh, you know, I was working, you know, we, we, at my job, we were supposed to like go find some cool ads that you think are cool and just like share them. Like, and, and we had a zoom meeting and I found this ad from, it was from 2018 
where it was from the KFC in England, the division in England. They ran out of chicken in 2018 for some reason. And they put out this ad that showed the bucket of chicken. And instead of saying KFC, it said FCK. And it showed all these crumbs just there in an empty bucket of chicken. Like basically it's like saying F yeah, we're out of chicken. And I thought that was the most brilliant damn thing I've ever seen, but it would probably never run here because, you know, you know, us audiences would be like, Oh my God, that's basically cause they had a cuss word. And <laughs> you know, and, but, but, you know, Brit Brits are a lot more, you know, they, they've got a better sense of humor than we do. So they yeah. could, they could, they can roll with it, you know? So I, I, I just thought that was brilliant. It has nothing to do with anything, but I just, you know, good on you KFC. So, <laughs> <laughs> Now back to Batman. <laughs> what do you think of Bruce's dream, That the sort of montage sequence? It's important for this story, but at this point in 1990, every literally almost every other issue of Batman had a flashback to the origin. It, right. Right. it got really old at this point. I mean, and part of it was because every, it, like at least in every Legends of the Dark Knight arc, you, where you had new creators coming in, everybody had to do their version of, of the of the you know origin sequence and or some some part of it, but usually the you know the murder of the Waynes and and you know the walk through crime alley and and it, it Zorro just, we're not getting Zorro like the, cemented even more so yeah the Marco Zorro was in this one in that one I mean it was it was everywhere I mean it, they had went like years and years without ever showing the origin you know just very rarely like once every maybe 5 6 years it would pop up in a comic to like literally once at least every other month right. uh, but but it's important in this story so i i will i'll forgive it because <laughs> right. of that right. <laughs> yeah and when uh when bruce wakes up you know remembering that you know the mckinley president mckinley was the 25th president that's what the clue was about and that's so close to where his parents died he's kind of like wait a minute is this just a coincidence or does the Riddler know? Like, and he's like, he's like, he can't know. This has to be just a coincidence. He's like, but maybe, I mean, it's enough to kind of, you know, put him a little bit off his game. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we get yeah, the, love- uh, we get the shot on page 14 with him in front of the window with the, you know, the cross kind of covering part of his face and the, and the shadows. Um, fr- like it doesn't look like a Frank Miller panel at all, but Frank Miller uses that kind of lighting and shading technique a lot. Um, both in his Batman work, but also like a lot in Sin City too, of having like yeah. the, the window like shade like lattice type of thing, like kind of like break up the shadows. So interesting. Yeah, when Bruce is watching the TV in the Dark Knight Returns, yeah, yep. uh, you know when he when he finds the Marcus Oro on TV, you know it's, right. <laughs> that sequence pops in my head. Yeah, yeah. Page fifteen. You know, just for fun, we're going to cut back to the Riddler doing his thing, and what the hell? One of his guys is just lying in a pool of his own blood. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's you know they they're telegraphing that you know the dog's got a hold of this guy, but yeah, yeah he's just laying there and bleeding. But it looks like he's bleeding out from his arm. Yeah. It's like he took half his Stefan's arm off, yeah. uh, arm with him. But you know, I mean, for some reason, the panel. I mean, you know, kidnapping babies is, is horrible. Of course, I mean, instantly you're horrified. But when you think about okay. Literally, these are babies, and these awful people have them. And, you know, it, I don't know, this just cements. It's like, oh, my God, these poor kids and the poor parents. You know, you just, uh, it just, I, I don't know. It's a, the, the shot of that guy. It's like, well, what am I supposed to do with this thing? He, you know, he, you know, and he's like, well, change him. You know, it's it's just like, 
oh god they they had they you know i, I don't know it's just it, it, it because it showed them you know in their in their hideout with the kid it's just it it cemented it more that these dudes like like kidnap somebody's baby you know i, I don't yeah, know it just yeah. it just like it, it's another one of those things that just made the whole thing more real and and more disturbing uh, because of that. And there's, I mean, there's been long held ideas that you know babies their their brains aren't developed enough, so they they don't remember you know traumatic things like this. But as more studies are done, more evidence suggests that maybe they do. Maybe there is more sort of psychological damage done at like these early early ages before they can really express it. Um, and I I I I don't even want to mention it because it makes me fucking furious but the the children that were separated from their parents at, at the southern border um that's going to be an entire generation of profoundly damaged people um yeah. in, in ways that we can't even imagine and fathom and um yeah. I, okay I, I yeah i have to move on yeah, uh, yeah. so yeah then you're right um batman goes to the bar this part I felt like was kind of like, okay, he just shows up and instantly like this trap is sprung. Like it's just attacked. It, it kind of feels like it's coming out of nowhere. But I also think this is just another part of Riddler's plan to disorient Batman, to keep him off his game, to basically just keep on throwing things at him so that he's not really ready. It's the same thing when he goes down into the sewer and then he's blinded by these harsh lights and then guys just hitting him with clubs. Like those guys aren't going to defeat Batman, but it's just part of Riddler's scheme to just like... Just cut, just put him through his paces so he's he can't catch his breath and he can't think straight. Um, yeah, yeah. And then I, I do like that Batman is in complete silhouette when he's mm-hmm. standing at the bar. I like it. It doesn't. It's a good way to make Batman. It doesn't take away the mystique of Batman in a mundane place. You right, know? I, right. That's a nice, nice technique by Dwyer. Yeah. So then, yeah, we get the part with the, the dogs and Ugh. yeah. I I mean. <laughs> I love dogs. I'm a dog lover. I all. I also. I. I like pit bulls. I think they are just great, fun dogs. But they have a very bad reputation because mm-hmm. they are often trained and utilized to be savage attack dogs or guard dogs. So they can be really, really goddamn dangerous. Um, so a, a thing like this is not unheard of. They can be used for this place, but I don't think they should be. And if, I mean, if you have a pit bull that could be a loving and protective and gentle as anything. Um, so it's, it's unfortunate because this type of thing would, would continue a, a stigma and a stereotype against this type of dogs that they're unsafe around people, around children. And so, well, that's really if, if they're conditioned that way. So I have see, a, I have a part pit bull, um, my dog Sugar is. Uh, we're not 100 percent sure she's a mutt. Yeah, uh, we got her from the animal shelter, but uh, we're pretty sure she's. Her jawline goes clear back to her ears. <laughs> yes, so, yeah, <laughs> she's part pit bull and uh, it, uh, you know, a pretty good chunk. And I, uh, you know, she got teeth like a shark. And right. uh, but she is the biggest sweetheart you'd ever you'd ever meet. And just the you know, and and so stuff like this. And you're right, they can be trained and and, and be they have powerful jaws. Um, you know, they, they can be trained to be, um, you know, Rottweilers get the same bad rap. Yep. Yep. They can be trained to be, you know, vicious attack dogs, guard dogs. And honestly, if, when somebody comes here that sugar doesn't know, we have to kind of watch her because she gets kind of aggressive. She's very protective, but, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it, I didn't, I didn't like this. I mean, I, I think Milligan took the easy way out. I, I, I'd like to have seen 
some dialogue that said that the dogs had been trained or or, or mistreated or or something. I don't not that I want dogs to be mistreated, but right. you know to explain that okay, you don't just like open up a van door full of pit bulls and they right. start attacking everybody, you know, or have uh, it have it be like a, a tiger or something that was stolen from the zoo, some kind of animal that like you're you're not going to. Yeah, that that wouldn't be a family pet that's gonna like kind of be disturbed by this or something. I don't know. Right. Yeah. I just I didn't. I mean, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not like offended, like incredibly offended by it and mad at Milligan. But I I think he just took kind of took the easy way out. Oh, what's an aggressive dog? Oh, a pit bull. Right. Uh, you know. And I mean, there's that story. I don't read a lot of modern Batman stories, but it was in one of the anthology Christmas anthologies from a few years ago that showed how Batman got the modern version of Ace. Oh and yeah. That Ace was a dog the joker had trained and to you know be an attack attack dog and that you know basically batman uh alfred actually took the dog in and trained it as a pet for batman yeah rehabilitated rehabilitated him and that's i I actually really like that that's yeah that's a great idea it's a great story and and you know it's it's the whole thing you know they are all named after card suits and you know everything and so that's why he was ace and he actually had a mask on with a with an ace like thing on it at first. And then of course, Alfred gave him the bat mask and, and, uh, I, I, I thought it was cute. You know, it was, it, I mean, there is a little, it is a little, there is some dark parts in there where like the ace killed the other dogs and stuff like that, which is, I could have done without, but yeah, it's, you know, at least they explained that the dogs were mistreated, were trained, were, were made to be the aggressive, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I'd, <laughs> I'd like to see just a little dialogue here for that. Yeah. Uh, I over over the holiday break I got the um it was a uh, an image comic series by Ed Brubaker and Steve Epting called Velvet um mm. and I got the the deluxe hardcover edition that collected the whole thing and the premise was basically what if you found out that Ms Money Penny was the greatest spy at MI6 Oh, cool. Um, like, like, like all these like James Bond type of spies, but it turns out like the the director's secretary was actually like the greatest field agent that you never know. Um, and so and it, it it plays out like a, a John le Carre like spy novel or like the early early Bond stuff. Um, mm. It's a great great little series. Um, but there's one point where she's being hunted down by the French uh, gendarme and like they sick like an attack dog on her or something, and she has to knock it out to to free herself, and then the the dog handler kind of like catches up to her and she she beats the crap out of him and she's like you made me hurt that goddamn dog and she's like she punishes him because he was using the dog against her and i really cool. thought that was a good heroic moment yeah i like that yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway so getting back to the comic so um the first dog batman actually takes out with a batarang which i it's in the third panel i never even saw that until i was really looking close when i was doing my recap for this one i i always heard, he he says in the text i dropped the dog hit him clean behind the ear i was like okay well the art doesn't really convey that i finally see oh yeah there is a batarang bouncing off of its head there yeah um, yeah and then the second dog is actually shot by an off-duty cop who was there at the bar, and he Ser- Sergeant McCarthy, Gotham Police Department. Um, and then, yeah, the dog the, on the next page—it's you know two inches away from his face and the fangs. It's 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 bad news for Batman. He, I, I hate that he's that the that the writers put him in this situation, but there's no way out of this, so he has to stab the dog through any with the knife. Um, and then yes, there there is a a story purpose for this, as as twisted as it is. Yeah, in Batman, we've seen Batman in this in the Bronze Age. He killed 
leopard or whatever it was that Raish left for him in the first yep, Raish story, yep. and and he killed the shark that the Joker had, and he killed the vultures in the in the or the whatever they were in the Secret of the Waiting Graves, and you know, so I mean, he's Batman will kill an animal if he has to, you know. I mean, it's right. it, you know, which I mean, I understand, you know, I'm an animal lover, but in the in the it's going to kill you, then yeah, you got to defend yourself. Right. Uh, but but yeah, it's yeah, it was still I didn't particularly need to see Batman literally stabbing a dog through the heart with a knife. Right. Uh, but I, I know it's story important, but it's still pretty damn gruesome. <laughs> right, right, and I, I keep coming back to this idea that this is like this is supposed to be as traumatic for Batman as it is for us. That is part of the Riddler's twisted plan. And I actually, I like that we, we kind of glossed over it. There's a line earlier. Um, I think it's the page when we see, uh, the goons. Um, Oh yeah. Yeah. It's that. No, it's on page six. It's the bottom page. When, uh, when, um, what's his name? Uh, Chuck. Yeah, when Chuck is arguing with Riddler in the van and he's in the driver's seat, he's like, "This had better be worth it, Riddler." Ever since you, f- so he said, "Ever since you found that old book," so that kind of a clue of what's going on because later Riddler will say he got religion and that's why he's doing this whole scheme. He's like, mm-hmm. "Ever since you found that old book, you've been acting like a nut. You know, you're starting to make the Joker seem positively sensible." <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. So yeah, then uh, he goes down into the sewers uh, after after hitching on this van, and there's the the flashbang. The lights like kind of blind him. I think he's just hitting him with clubs, and, and he finally gets them back. And then ah, uh, and then the jo- the Riddler he endangers the life of a child. Which screw you. Um, yeah. But yeah, another another dramatic cliffhanger. I mean, the last the last one we had oh, a zombie coming out of the earth, and now. Batman is taking a razor blade to a baby. It's like, oh boy, what story are we in for? <laughs> yeah, and that last panel, that looks like pure Brayfogle. That looks like a Brayfogle Batman. It does. It does, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, Dwyer's probably like, you know, hey, you know, Brayfogle's pretty damn good. Might as well, you know, <laughs> when in Gotham, I mean, yep. Brayfogle was it. He was the Batman guy, you know, yep. in 1990. So, yeah, I mean, that, I'm not, not, that's nothing taken away from him. I mean, you know, Jim Apero, you know, channeled a lot of Neil Adams and Irv Novick did once Adams came along and, you know, lots of great artists, you know, take a little bit from each other. So that's nothing against Dwyer, but that that's a very brave old Batman, you know, right. if you saw that in isolation, you might think it is him. So, yeah, uh, yep, yep. but no, yeah, that the whole, yeah. Ooh, Batman with a knife getting ready to have to literally operate on a baby. That's, uh, that's not something you ever saw in a Batman comic before. <laughs> At this point, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, again, I read all three parts, so I couldn't wait. So, <laughs> yeah, no, so. Uh, well, listeners, you will have to wait another month to find out uh, how, how that one plays out if you haven't already. Um, any final thoughts on this chapter before we go to our listener feedback? Uh, you know, just uh, again, you know. I, I feel somewhat hypocritical because we've complained about not liking stuff getting this dark, but it, it is, again, it's the outlier. It's Batman is reacting. Oh my God. I can't believe Riddler's doing this, you know, through the whole thing. Batman's traumatized by what he's being put through. This isn't an average night in Gotham city. This is, this is, there's strange, awful things happening. Uh, and you know, but the, you know, the, the, the thing is, is that, you know, and I, again, this story seemed to have been relatively forgotten uh, for the most part, unfortunately. But 
if every comic is this way, then that that impact's gone, and then just things become gruesome. And I I kind of feel like that's over the years kind of what happened. So, but in 1990, this was a shock, but in a good way. So, also this was this was a dark, horrific story from my childhood at the peak years of my comic book reading. So <laughs> that makes it okay. Now that I'm a cynical adult. No, <laughs> then the, the same type of story, I would I would scoff at it and I would reject it. So. Yeah, that's probably part of it too. I mean, you know, I was a teenager and I thought this was, you know, even though I I didn't ever particularly buy into wanting, you know, I didn't want everything grim and gritty. You know, uh, you know, I wanted I wanted my Batman somewhat grim and gritty. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the 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 things around him grim and gritty. So I, you know, I ate this I ate this up back then, and I you know I. I Obviously, it left an impact on me. I still remembered it fondly enough that as soon as it came up, I was like, yeah, let's do that. You know, so. (laughs) (laughs) All right, folks, we're going to take another promotional break. But when we come back, we'll have your listener feedback from the last episode. Don't go away. Dr. Fate. Dr. Midnight. Starman. Johnny Quick. Wildcat. Power Girl. The All-Star Squadron. The Firebrand. Amazing Man. Huntress. Cyclone. Sandman. Mr. Terrific. Star Commander Steel. Seven Soldiers of Liberty. Liberty Infinity Incorporated. Those are just some of the celebrated and beloved heroes associated with Earth 2 and the Justice Society of America. These daring mystery men and women banded together in 1940 to form the first super team in comics. They inspired a decades-long legacy of heroes who would follow in their footsteps. And now they've inspired us to launch a new podcast. Justice Society presents a new anthology on the Fire and Water Podcast Network featuring a variety of theme shows with different hosts celebrating some of their favorite comics and characters associated with the Golden Age of Comics, Earth 2, the JSA, and beyond. We'll launch this new series with an ongoing show called Justice Society Presents Crisis, in which Rob and Shag go through each of the classic team-ups between the Justice League and the Justice Society. Then joining the podcast feed will be the Starman Chronicles. Chris and Cindy continue their coverage of James Robinson's epic series from beginning to end. Later in the year, Ryan Daly and Max Romero will tackle the Vertigo title, Sandman Mystery Theater. And two years later, Ryan will cancel it. That's probably... Then in the coming months and years, we'll be adding further ongoing shows and one-off specials celebrating other beloved characters and comics related to the JSA of any era, from the 1940s to today. Join the fight for justice and subscribe to Justice Society Presents on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. On the last episode, we discussed Detective Comics 400 and Batman 452, essentially the first two chapters in the respective trilogies we're covering now. As always, we got a ton of likes and shares on social media, though considerably less dick pics than we used to get during the Marshall Rogers episodes. (laughs) Anyway, these are the handful of comments we received on the website fireandwaterpodcast.com. First comment came from Brian Linton, who said, Thanks for another inspiring episode, gentlemen. After your comment about Batman sticking the rescued baby in a Robin costume, I'm now imagining a new reality TV show where orphaned toddlers compete in a contest to become Bruce Wayne's new ward. For some strange reason, the tots would have to compete various would have to complete various tasks like escaping from handcuffs and solving riddles before participating in a final no holds no-holds-barred steel cage match. 
The panel judges would consist of Bruce Wayne and his butler, along with a rotating spot for one of Bruce's former wards. I would call it Who Wants to Be a Billionaire's Ward. <laughs> Coming soon to HBO Max. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I like it. Yeah. Uh, the next comment that came kind of, that, like you oh, basically go. like for some reason we're we're laughing about it when it's a Batman thing, but that's basically the role of the Taskmaster at Marvel Comics. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's how he that's how he basically, he basically just picks up orphans and kidnapped kids and everything like that, and just trains them to be like mercenaries for Hydra or AIM or any other you know like henchmen. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but when Batman does it, hey, it's funny because he puts on a yellow cape. Yeah, that's right. Pixie <laughs> boots make it fine. You know, it's it it, 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 it smooths over everything. Yeah. <laughs> Our next comment came from Sir Martin Gray. Oh, I didn't realize he'd been knighted. Uh, of the blog, too dangerous for a girl. Martin said, "Thanks for another Bat-tastic episode. Two very interesting stories there. Somehow I never noticed that Man Bat has no wings in that first story. That's fascinating." Have you seen Man-Bat in Justice League Dark? He spends most of his time in a mid-shift form and looks ridiculous, like Dr. Dillamond in Wicked. And what's he doing in there? He's not supernatural. He's science. This may shock you, but I don't violently disagree with you boys that the Detective Comics number 400 cover is too busy with logos and, uh, and irrelevant figures. It would look better if it were cleaner. I don't dig that new Batmobile. It's very dull. Just a sports car with a black bat blotch. <laughs> Any Batmobile worthy of the name needs at least a big bubble on the back containing a crime lab. Heck, where does he even keep the whirly bats? Overall, though, a classic debut for Kirk Langstrom. As for the next story, whoa, we're going to Barbathos. What an impressive opening to a classic three-parter. I don't actually like the idea of Gotham as sort of sentient, a haunted city, but I can overlook the odd bit of narration by putting it down to a writer getting overly flowery. The Riddler is too dark here, and what's this about a hangman code word card? That's just odd. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really know what the the hanged man. Cause, I mean, maybe he's like he's literally playing a gang of hangman with Batman as as that's, he goes. That's what I took like the sort of children's game of hangman because it's about solving a puzzle. I mean, it's not necessarily riddles, but it's yeah, just trying to identify something. Uh, that, that was the only thing I could think of. I don't know if there's something else in the story. Yeah. yeah, but Batman said that was his code word like previously too, so I don't I don't know. But yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um yeah, I I have heard great things about the Justice League Dark comic, like the the new version that's been around uh for like the last, you know, five years or something like that. Um, I, I've heard from lots of different people who, who think it's terrific, and, and I know Zatanna has been part of it, and they made Wonder Woman a part of it, uh, which has kind of given her uh, an interesting corner, more magic and mystical based, that's not where she doesn't have to compete with Batman and Superman. Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, I just, I, my head isn't in the place to read a lot of modern uh, DC comics right now, even though I've heard great things about that one and Hawkman, which should both of those should be right up my alley. Um, but no, I, I haven't seen it. But yeah, I mean, it's he is a science-based character, not supernatural, but he has the look of the supernatural. It's sort of the same thing with that um, the old uh, Blue Devil Summer Fun special that had all those characters, too. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. What about, uh, what about you for the for the Batmobile? Do you think the just the general sports car with the sort of silhouette of Batman's head works? No, I, I like it. I, I, you know, I, I generally do like 
uh, you know, even though it makes absolutely no sense really for Batman to have a, <laughs> a car that stands out at all, you know, I, I, I just, I don't care. I mean, I generally like the, I like it to have fins and, and, and I prefer like that this, this car kind of evolves into the 1978 80s Batmobile yeah. that, you know, it's basically the superpowers Batmobile, uh, which is like the, a combo of this and the, the TV show, George Barris Batmobile basically, um, so I, that's my, that's one of my absolute favorite versions. So, but I mean, I, I there was something about like, um, I don't know if I, I think I mentioned this on another show, but you know, a friend and a friend of mine and, and I built a, a model kit that was basically this version of a Batmobile, but on like a, a Plymouth Superbird cause, and it had the fins because mm. the Plymouth Superbird has fins. So it was this big, long muscle car of a Batmobile, but it had that same bad head, bad head hood on it. But uh, yeah, but we we built that Batmobile, and it's just so. So I'm kind of a sucker for that. I, I'd rather have it be this than a tank. You know, right, that's right, that's, yeah. kind of, that's my take. And I like it much better than the the weird blue yeah. car with all the yellow that we talked about last time. Yeah, so. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm kind of of the two minds. I mean, I I like when Batman can be subtle in his movements and he can cruise down the streets um, without drawing the attention of people necessarily. And also I like when he can maneuver down streets without pancaking cars on either side that are like not just double parked. Um, but I also like a Batmobile that has a bat face on the front bumper or, or the fins or something like that. So I don't know. We do we we keep mentioning this, but we do need to do a special episode that's just about our favorite Batmobiles. We'll find some time yeah. this year to do that. Maybe sometime over the summer. Yep, that's that'd be great. Or we could always do it as a special video version on the yeah, on yeah, the YouTube channel. Like yeah. yeah. Uh all right. Tim Price from the Outcasters podcast over on the Right On Network said I've read the second part of the Man Bat trilogy in Batman the 30s to the 70s, but never got around to the other issues, so this is a treat. And yes, Alfred as guinea pig for testing gadgets is a riot. I need exploding batarangs when working with the Justice League. Alfred, you stand behind this concrete wall and let's see if it bursts through. Of course, sir. <laughs> All the exploding batarangs Batman uses on Justice League animated. I mean, that, yeah, that that just that, that's what I immediately thought of when, when you read that. <laughs> Alfred standing there in like a catcher's mask and like like something like a you know a heavy jacket or something like that. Those, yeah, he's like, got a bear, black jacket like, on. Those yeah. bear suits for like bear combat to see if he gets hurt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tim says, but I did read Dark Knight Dark City back in the day. Looking forward to revisiting it. Kieran Dwyer's artwork is wonderful in this issue. You guys place his take on Batman just where I do. Love it. After you joking about putting the baby into a Robin costume in a few years, why wait? The little one could wear one now, and Batman carries him around papoose style. Just like Jack Nomad Monroe does in his 90s series. Wait a sec, let me check. You light up my life. That's us on hold with the music. Um, Tim says, the first issue of the Nomad miniseries is just four months after Batman 452. Holy guacamole. <laughs> I remember um, that Nomad series. That was fun. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Having a little, little baby Robin in, in a papoose or something. Uh, he had Tim, a little domino mask, the little baby did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Tim, uh, Tim concludes, maybe Harold, maybe Harold can whip up a floating bulletproof baby carriage that closes up when the fighting starts. Hey, Captain America and Mandalorian references. 
The thing about this is, I think the first appearance of Harold is Batman 457, also four months from now, possibly the same month as the first appearance of Nomad. <laughs> or n- yeah. not the first appearance, but the, the first issue of his miniseries. Yeah, there, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, Batmando. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey, I always say like Mando, he fights like Batman, you yeah. know, in the show. I yeah, mean, yeah. the grapple thing and everything. I mean, you know, it's 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 you know, basically, it's a lot of it is very similar to you know the the way the Batman actors in the movies have fought, starting with Michael Keaton. You know, it's yeah. it's that that kind of stilted, uh, you know quick movements, quick cuts, and, you know, it, you know, it just, like, standing stock still and then just, like, springing into action type thing, you know, so right. uh, it, it works, yeah. <laughs> uh, Paul Hicks from the DCOCD podcast and the Gary Show said, I recently picked up some discounted Batman automobilia issues, including issue five, which came with the Batmobile from Detective Comics number 400. The magazine features a lot of details from this arc. Aren't I awesome? Yeah, actually, actually, that one is at um, my comic shop, Heroes Realm, because somebody sold a bunch. I think I mentioned that, but somebody sold a bunch of those uh, to the shop, and so they've got a, a ton of those there. And I've, I'm really tempted by that one, but I've got the Corgi version of it, so I'm like, it's almost the exact same thing. It, I've, it's twenty bucks, yeah. So, <laughs> but it does come with the magazine, so I might That's end cool. up getting it because I really like that one. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Uh, then Captain Entropy, he left a response to Paul's comment, but it really had nothing to do with us, so I didn't even bother reading it. Um, guys, you, you keep the conversation by us. You know, give us. Yeah. <laughs> Quit talking amongst yourselves. Yeah, no, you can do that on your own time. So. Uh, our last comment came from Jimmy McGlinchey, who Hold said the Riddler is one of my favorite Bat villains, and this story is very much the high point in terms of good Riddler stories. Apart from some Chuck Dixon Riddler stories, and I believe Kieran Dwyer also drew the Dixon Year One annual on the Riddler, this story is the one which I think of in terms of great Riddler stories. Peter Milligan crafted an excellent story. I enjoyed his run on Detective Comics when Jim Aparo was moved over to Detective, swapping with Brayfogle. He had some nice one-to-two-issue stories, which were very thought-provoking. He also had a four-issue crossover between Batman and Detective called The Idiot, which took place in Brazil, is definitely worth a look over. Plus, it had some great Brayfogle and Aparo art. I rem... I barely remember that story. I have it, but it, yeah, gosh, I might have to. Yeah, wasn't it like through. Idiot Root or something like that? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, it, it very vaguely. Yeah. yeah, there was so much Batman content coming out at this right, at right. this time. It's it's hard to keep up. Yeah, I'll have to look over those again. Maybe maybe mm-hmm. we'll cover those at some point. But mm-hmm. uh, and Jimmy said the Man Bat story is one I read many times in the greatest Batman stories ever told. But I never read the immediate follow-ups, so I look forward to listening to your coverage on Same. Hope you enjoyed this one. It says, excellent show as always, and look forward to the next parts in the Man Bat and Riddler stories. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode as well as the next one, which will wrap up both of these trilogies. So. Yes, definitely. And I, I forgot to mention that the Man Bat story in this issue, Man or Bat from Detective 402, is reprinted in... The first, probably the first, well, there were a few paperbacks, but the first, like, prestigious collection of Batman stories, Batman from the 30s to the 70s. Right. It's one of the newer stories in that. Uh, there's that one. There's the 
uh, the secret of the waiting graves and there's the demon of Gothos mansion that are, that are in there that are fairly new stories. So yeah, it's in, it's in black and white, but it's in that book. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very cool. So, yep. Uh, yeah. That, I don't know if we got anything else. So, uh, yeah. Hope you guys are, hope you guys are enjoying these stories and, uh, hope, I was going to say, I hope 2021 is going well for you, but I can't, I can't in good conscience say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, there might be a little light at the end of the tunnel. Anyway, We're getting right? more vaccines. More companies are coming out with more vaccines. Hopefully that process will be speeding up soon. So. Definitely. So, so hang in there, guys. I think it, I think <laughs> we can't make any promises, but it's hopefully it's going to get better. Yeah, yeah, I just, yeah. We were watching. I, I don't want to mention the show because it, it spoils something for WandaVision. But we were we were watching some show with a a car driving down down the street or whatever last night, and my wife was just like, "Remember when we drove places?" <laughs> <sighs> yeah. <laughs> well, I had a dream the other. I had a dream last night where. I realized I didn't have my mask on. I had to put my mask on. Oh. I mean, you start when you start dreaming about it, then it's oh, pretty bad. That's too bad. That's too bad. <laughs> All right, folks, uh, you can look for us the first Friday of the month uh, of uh, March next time. So same bat time, same bat channel, I guess. Now I love me. Nightcast is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or the Facebook page for Batman Nightcast. You can find me on Twitter at RyanDaily01 or email me at rdailypodcast at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at supermatespod or email me at supermatespodcast at gmail.com. Special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on how you can support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. You can also support us by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Every review helps iTunes push this podcast to a wider audience. Batman Nightcast is also available on Spotify. This podcast is not affiliated with DC Comics, and the views expressed here belong solely to us. All music, audio clips, or quoted text is used for entertainment purposes, and no copyright infringement is intended. Thank you for listening. We'll never